Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, indeed. And I am joined by our friend from the University of Minnesota, Julie Weisenhorn. Good morning, Julie. I think Julie's there. Yep. Hi, how you doing? Oh, there you are. Okay. You had, <laughs> you had my heart go pitter-pat just a little bit there. Oh, no, no. I'm right here waiting for you. I'm glad to hear that. Now, i got to ask you something. Did you get a new doggy? I did get a new dog, yeah. Carl and I adopted a rescue dog uh, named Zola. <laughs> well, she's a beauty. Yeah, she's a husky mix and smart as a whip. Right. Well, good. Congratulations <laughs> to all all Thank involved you. there. Um, yeah. You know, we, we I mentioned earlier that you know you you all uh, you and Mary and and Teresa um, help out our listeners so much uh, every week, and we always like to talk about at least we do once in a while about uh, what what it means to be a master gardener and and how do we go about creating these master gardens. You guys have have a program. Explain, explain if you would, a little bit about the whole master gardens. I would be happy to. Uh, master gardeners are a volunteer program of the University of Minnesota Extension, and they are our extension out into their communities. So we have around 20, oh, 22, 2300, I think, throughout Minnesota. And they're in about 75 of our 87 counties. And they, uh, people who want to become a master gardener go through an education program that's taught by University of Minnesota faculty and staff. And they learn about everything from plant diseases to trees and shrubs, flowers, uh, integrated pest management, all sorts of different topics to be able to help people in their communities and answer their gardening questions, help them start a garden, uh, answer questions on this show and online for people. So they are um, they are a tremendous bunch of people who put a lot of their own time and effort into helping other people uh, be successful at gardening. Um, right now, the counties are recruiting. Uh, in other words, you can contact your local county or go to our extension.umn.edu website and find out about how to apply and become a master gardener in your county. Hmm. I wonder if I could do that. Well, I was just going to say, Denny, you should become a master gardener. <laughs> I'm a master gardener. I'm retired from the program because I'm working at the U now, but I was a master gardener for 10 years in Hennepin County, which is my home county. Well, a diamond in the rough, maybe. I don't know if I could get through it, but I think I'll rely <laughs> on, more uh, on about the... more ex- than a lot of us. 
<laughs> Maybe so. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you have a lawn or garden question, and as Julie knows, we tend to get real busy on this show. Uh, so uh, call in your question or send a text, but don't wait. Again, uh, we, we sometimes run out of time. and We haven't got a chance to uh, answer your calls or your text messages. And that same number applies. Uh, if, if you want to chat with Julie, call us, 651-989-9226. Or if you'd rather send Julie a text, uh, that number is the same, 651 989 9226. And as always, too, while we're waiting for calls and texts, Julie, uh, I always like to talk about uh, the Arboretum. In fact, I think I may zip by there today. I mean, it's open, and it's more than open, right? Yes, it is. Uh, And and today, the Apple House opens up. So out there, you can buy apples. You know, that's where I always get my apples for the season. And you can buy University of Minnesota releases. Oh, man, it's a great place to go. It smells so good when you walk in there. And uh, uh, the other thing that's going on at the Arboretum coming up on September 17th is called the Virtual Gala. So uh, so the Arboretum is often put on uh, several fundraising events. And uh, this year they're doing their annual gala as virtual. So p- you can do this at home. You can have a house party, <laughs> get a whole bunch of people together. And uh, Belinda Jensen from uh, CARE 11 is the MC, And uh, you'll hear from uh, Pete Moe, who's our uh, director of the Arboretum, as well as uh, our University of President Joan Gable, who's amazing and just a tremendous leader and a, just a wonderful person as well. There'll be an auction also. And every year there's a, a kind of a, a particular area that money is being raised for. And this year it is for... Um, it's a, called a Fund a Need, and it's Plant Conservation Program at the at uh, the Arboretum. So this is the the program that helps to conserve rare plants, and uh, and so they'll be raising money for that in particular. It's really it's a very cool uh, event, and the best part of it, it's free this year. Oh, so right. um, they raise money through the auction and through donations, but it's free. So anybody can go on uh, and uh, and and be part of that virtual gala. So. All the registration, we do ask you to register, uh, but it is on the Arboretum site at arboretum.umn.edu. And you mentioned the Apple House, and, and this uh, this happens to be, from now on for the next maybe six weeks, my favorite time of the year. And certainly yeah. visiting the Apple House is part of that, too. I love that place. Yeah, it's a great place. And and you can try apples that are our old favorites, like Honeycrisp and Zestar and uh, even the Harrelson, which is an old variety of apple. But you can also try some sometimes that are unnamed. They just are named uh, like MN1919 or something like that. So they're a, they're a name that the breeders are using, and they sometimes will slip those in and have people try them out, see what they think. Absolutely. 651-989-9226 is our phone number and the, t- and the text number. Uh, I'll tell you what, we, we've got so many th- things. Let's do this. Uh, Ken is calling in from Blaine, then we'll grab some uh, text messages. Uh, Ken, thanks for waiting. You're on with Julie. Good morning. Um, Good morning. I have a question. I uh, I have uh, trumpet vines, and the ones, they tend to be uh, spreading, and um, I want to know a little bit about that. And then I'm wondering, are, they, are you able to, uh, say, uh, dig them up and uh, transplant them or give them to somebody else or... Uh, it seems like they're kind of taking over. Yeah, trumpet vine. That's a uh, a very strong uh, woody vine. It's 
beautiful, has tremendous flowers, as you as their name implies. They're shaped like trumpets. They're usually a bright, deep orange color. Very attractive to pollinators and, and uh, hummingbirds. They are aggressive, though, in that uh, being a woody vine, they can weave themselves in and around uh, other plants, building structures. Uh, they need a very strong trellis. You, uh, the, the issue with them is that they spread uh, through underground roots. And so uh, those spread out and they form kind of a, a colony. Um, and so you can do a couple things. One is you can sever part of those roots and uh, make the plant root base smaller. You can also then take those severed roots, in other words, uh, the ones that you've cut off, and you can uh, transplant those somewhere else or, as you said, you know, give them to somebody um, it is a it, it, it's a very difficult plant to dig up in its entirety and move because of the root system, especially and it depends how old the plant is. So uh, it sounds like you have a pretty healthy plant. Um, I would say find uh, take a look at the base and see if that you can uh, maybe cut off part of the base by digging down with a sharp spade and uh, and then using maybe a tree saw um, or hand saw to cut the roots apart and then. Um, then see if you can do some transplanting. Okay. Tell you what, let's take a quick break, Julie. When we come back, we'll grab some text messages here on our Smart Garden Show on News Talk 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show around every Saturday here in the 8 o'clock hour on WCCO. Denny Long here with Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M Extension. And, Julie, a nice uh, compliment, uh, comment, too, from uh, a texter. Let me do that, and we have callers as well. It says, thanks to the U Extension Service for correctly identifying our cicada-killing wasp. They uh, they are a great group, you guys are. Uh, this was ID'd oh, by a man in Itasca County. Thanks from Washington County. So there you go. Wow, that's cool. Oh, I love hearing that. I appreciate that. We love good. doing this, uh, helping people with all their questions. So I'll pass that on to Jeff Hahn. He's our extension entomologist. And so he's the, the bug guy and I'll let him know that. So appreciate the is, comment. Yeah. Jeff has helped us out here in CSU for many years, yep. many, many years. Yeah. Uh, Texter wants to know, why are my red tomatoes green on the inside? Oh, I think it's, I, I kind of wonder if it's the ripening process. You know, we've had that. I, I don't know for sure, to be honest. Um, but we've had such humid, hot weather. This is, I think, uh, Mark Seeley in his Minnesota Weather Talk blog uh, yesterday indicated that this that August has been, the, I think it's the third hottest August on record. Um, it's had extremes uh, of humidity and uh, heat and also uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of rainfall too in a lot of the states. So it could be that the ripening process was interrupted or not completed in some respect because of these high temperatures. That would be my uh, initial guess, but I'd have to do a little extra research on that one. All right. Back to the phones we go. Uh, Ed is calling in from Bloomington this morning. Ed, you are on with Julie. Good morning. I have morning. Four pot, I have four potted tomato plants with soil that I purchased in the bag from the garden center, and I put a couple handfuls of 10-10-10 in each pot as I stirred it up. But the tomatoes are all studded. They don't get very tall, and they have tiny tomatoes. Uh, I planted uh, banana peels in with the soil because I heard that was good for the potassium, but these tomatoes all have 
uh, small character drum that I'm getting much bigger than a golf ball, and they turn red, and some of them start turning rotten um, before they're even ready to eat. Can you give me any idea what I did wrong? Well, that's a that's a, a complex situation. I, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear that. Tomatoes are a huge investment of time, and uh, you're waiting for that great red ripe tomato. Uh, my first thought is, I wonder if uh, when you bought the, uh, you didn't mention if you started the seeds yourself or if you did a, a bought transplants, but I'm wondering if they were mislabeled. Um, that would that would explain why the plants are stunted or smaller and why the tomatoes are smaller than you expected. We do have some patio uh, types of tomatoes that are, are bred to be very compact plants and have small fruit so that they can be grown in containers. So that, that would explain the size, the unexpected uh, smaller size and stunted uh, or smaller growth. As far as the rotting goes, I'm wondering if you're experiencing uh, blossom end rot, which is a common uh, abiotic situation happens in particularly con- uh, container-grown tomatoes that have uneven amounts of um, water. So this is not, this means that the water is you get a l- big heavy rain, so it's really saturated the soil. It's very wet, and then you let it dry out, and then it gets a little too dry, and then it rains again, and it gets uh, you know you get saturated again. So you get this un- irregular uh, watering uh, and that causes uh, the plant to be unable to take up calcium that's in the soil. Uh, I think it's great you put the fertilizer in. I don't really know about the banana peels, um, but uh, I'm guessing that those are the two issues that you've been experiencing. So how do you solve that? One is uh, you plant plant your tomatoes in in the soil, in the ground. Uh, That would help with the blossom end rot. Uh, Or you put one tomato plant in the biggest possible pot you can find and then uh, hook up some kind of an irrigation system. Uh, It could be a drip irrigation system that you can put on a timer from a hose or you could uh, uh, mulch the soil as well. That would help hold in uh, moisture as well. So there's a number of things you could do. Um, I would would take a look at our uh, tomatoes webpage and that might give you some other ideas too. So that's extension.umn.edu and click on vegetables and go to tomatoes. Very good. I was going to say my old friend, but I'm going to say my longtime friend and colleague, Bill <laughs> Hudson, who I believe has pretty good green thumb, sent a text this morning, said, hi, Danny and Julie. Lots of blossoms, but no cucumbers. What's wrong? So we hear this uh, occasionally from people uh, growing cucurbits and uh there's male and female flowers on these plants and we often get many more male flowers than female flowers. And sometimes that has been caused, uh, it's just a, a genetic, you know, it's just the way the plant is. But this year we've heard, uh, heard about this a little more often and uh, oftentimes in hotter weather, hotter, humid, more humid weather, which we had a big streak of that when the plant was developing in, in June, uh, it produces more male flowers than female flowers. So how do you get around that? Um, sometimes you can't help it. It's just the way the vine is. But you can also encourage more pollinators to be around those plants by planting flowers that pollinators will be attracted to. And then they'll, then they'll pollinate your uh, cucumbers as well. 
So I'm, I'm going to chalk it up to weather that we've had. So you have more male flowers and female flowers. And then I'm going to chalk it up to maybe encouraging pollinators a little bit more in your garden. Hmm. This is, I know we have to break here. This is not going to help Bill, but uh, my wife, Sandy, said uh, but a couple of months ago when we first she first started planting, tons of flowers. She said, there's no cukes. I don't think we're going to have any cukes. Well, guess what? What's the word? Plethora? <laughs> we have we have tons of cucumbers, and it keeps coming. So I don't. I guess it's getting rather late in the season to have uh, Bill hope for something. So, but uh, yeah, so Denny, you could pass this on to Sandy. What I've done is I've made up a batch of uh, dill pickle brine. You can buy. Yeah. You, know, you can look up online, or you can look in the ball book. Uh, and I put it into a big two quart jar in the fridge. And I just when I get those little pickles, those little or little cucumbers off yeah. my mind, I clean them and I throw them in that jar. Ooh. Pretty soon you to, have little refrigerator dills. I'm gonna give her that hint. I won't yeah. I won't wake her up now, but if she's sleeping, she's probably <laughs> listening to the show. Julie, we have to You're take nice a break. Guy. We have to look at that forecast and we come back. We have another half hour of the show to go. Call in or text in your question. We'll get back to the phones after the break too. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Stay with us here on News Talk eight three oh WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denning along on this end, Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota helping you out. And as usual, Julie, a lot of callers, a lot of texters. So let's get to it. I think Noreen has been waiting the longest from uh, Roseville. Maureen, uh, thank you, Noreen. What, what's your question for Julie? Good morning. Yes, it's a hydrangea question. I okay. Have two, I have two sets. The ones that are white and turn green, I have them by a black walnut tree. They are all gorgeous and beautiful. The ones up by the house that are usually, I think first they're blue and then they're lavender, are just now getting teeny tiny little buds. I, but the foliage has been beautiful the whole summer. Okay. And this is the first time this, and they're about five years old. They have always done what they're supposed to do. One is on the south side, one is on the east side. And I talked to a daughter that I have in Ohio. And she said, theirs are doing the same thing, but that's a long way from here. Yeah, that is a long way from here. And and they they don't seem to have off year like uh, apples or anything like that, so I I don't know if I should have fertilized them or what. Yeah, I think fertilization is probably the key there, and I think that – that fertilizing them would be a good idea. Now, I wouldn't do it now because we're moving into, uh, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, we're getting into the uh, later part of the year and looking toward winter. And so we want to stop fertilizing shrubs at this point and flowers as well, too, um, because we don't want to be prompting any new growth, any additional new growth. Uh, Your plant is uh, behaving maybe a little bit like it it was a little bit, uh, maybe the... uh, you know, temperature or uh, the lack of the fertilization uh, are producing these small buds and they're later in the season. Foliage looks great, like you said. Um, A soil test would be helpful, especially if they've done great for five years and all of a sudden they're not doing well or not flowering. Um, Sounds like the plants are healthy. Another thought too is that over the five years that you've had them there, Maybe look around, has anything changed from a lighting standpoint? In other words, has a tree that was, uh, you know, gotten bigger and is now shading them? Uh, sometimes these flowering shrubs 
will stop blooming because the, they're not getting enough light to bloom, to produce the energy, to produce the flowers. They can do a lot of uh, foliage, produce a lot of foliage, but there may be, uh, maybe there's a, a change in the light. So look around uh, and, and kind of think about that too. But I would say uh, keep them watered going into the winter, mulch their bases uh, around the roots so that they hold in moisture and protect those roots. And then next spring, uh, start with a, a good uh, tree and shrub type of fertilizer and look for one that has a higher uh, phosphorus number. That's the, the middle number uh, and because that is going to promote more blooming than, uh, than a high nitrogen number. Uh, it sounds like uh, it's got plenty of nitrogen in that soil, uh, which is interesting. Um, but you need to have something that's going to prompt more of those, those buds to bloom. Okay. Texter wants to know, if I put down grass seed now, will it germinate before winter or in the spring? This is a good time, actually, to seed. And, uh, and as we get into um, uh, the, the later part of the year, this is when our grass actually is, is growing well. So you can seed from uh, early August to late September, so plenty of time to do seeding. And you can also do dormant seeding in mid-November, so dormant seeding is uh, putting down seed after the soil is frozen and the seed, it's too cold for the seed to germinate, essentially. And uh, then in the spring, that seed will start germinating early in the season. You'll kind of get a jump on, on the growing season for your lawn. So, yes, this is, a, this is a good time to do seeding. Very good. Let's go back to the phones, Julie. I think Sam is uh, calling in from Roseville this morning. Uh, Sam, thank you for waiting. What is your question for Julie? I, uh, I was just wondering, I have uh, a whole patch of marigolds along the side of my house that uh, I've done well, I've planted every year. Um, but then this year I had a bug company come out and spray around the foundation of my house. And all the marigolds, except for a little patch, have gotten smoked out and died. I'm wondering if it is something to do with the marigolds or something to do with the spray that they sprayed for the bugs. Oh, that would be, let's see, um, it would depend on what they sprayed. And, it, and, and also, uh, I mean, they're spraying an insecticide. So technically, we would say that wouldn't affect the marigolds. However, um, if uh, any kind of chemical could probably burn the plants, if it's a very hot day, uh, that might have, uh, it might have volatilized to turn to a gas and uh, then the plants were sensitive to that. But as a rule of thumb, I would say an insecticide wouldn't affect a plant. Uh, what might have happened is uh, they might have, uh, it, it might have been the heat. It could have been um, planting them year after year in uh, the same place. Marigolds are in the aster family. Uh, they, they may have contracted aster yellows where they actually turn to kind of a yellow color um, that would, we'd, that would be something you'd have to look into, but I would think, um, I don't think that the pesticide would have done anything to it. Um, they might've walked on the plants that wouldn't have helped and broken them off. Um, so I don't think it was the pesticide, but, um, you might want to try planting them in a different location next year and see if that helps at all. All right. Very good. That's a, that's, uh, a, that's a hard one. It would be hard because you don't know what was sprayed, yeah. first of all. Good, yeah, uh, don't know what was sprayed. Good thing is that it's uh, um, 
uh, an annual, so it hasn't killed off a shrub or oh, yeah, something that's a little bit more long-term. I want to grab a bunch of text messages, but I think Michael is calling in from uh, Blaine this morning to ask you a question. Michael, good morning. What is your question? Good morning. Yes, uh, Creeping Charlie question. I did get uh, some uh, weed killer solution from my local garden center. I put it on about a month ago, but it had come back. They did tell me that to put it on in the fall and in the spring, but what is a good time to put that uh, herbicide on to because it's it's not a big patch, but it's starting to really spread, and I want to get it under control. Okay, great. So Creeping, Char- Creeping Charlie is a broadleaf weed, and uh, broadleaf weed control, uh, This is a, fall is a great time to treat Creeping Charlie. Uh, the plant is actively photosynthesizing and putting energy into its roots uh, for next year's growth. So right now it's it's called translocation where it's moving energy down through its leaves and sugars and into those roots. So it will take up herbicide more readily now. So this is a good time. You can treat for that uh, starting probably in September. So what's that, two days from now? And go all the way through late October for treating Creeping Charlie. And uh, so, yes, it's a very good time to do that. All right. Very good. Let's see. Here is a question on Russian sage. Texter says, my two-year-old Russian sage plant does not stand erect. I need to put some fencing to keep it erect. This has happened before. Why do I see other Russian sage plants look more like a bush? So Russian sage or perovskia is a uh, a woody, uh, kind of a semi-woody perennial plant. And there are some types that flop over. Some of the original Uh, The species tends to fall. Uh, Sometimes your soil is too rich for it. That's another uh, issue with some plants is that uh, they need a little bit drier conditions, maybe better drainage, Uh, don't need to add so much fertilizer in uh, or compost into the soil around them. So uh, that could be the case. But I think I, I find sometimes it's just it's the type of the plant. There are different cultivars now that have a more upright, more sturdy vertical uh, form, and you might want to just try looking for some of those uh, Russian sage and then slowly kind of work out the one that falls down and at, uh, change it over with these that are more vertical and upright. All right. Let's grab a phone call from Grace, who was calling from Butterfield, I believe, this morning. Grace, you are on CCO with Julie. Good morning. I had used to have gorgeous lupines growing when we lived in South Dakota. When we moved here, I couldn't keep them growing at all. I started another batch this year and pretty late in the season. So they're about six inches tall right now. Is there anything I can do to help them over winter, or should I just try starting again in the spring? Okay. So uh, lupines grow, and they grow uh, – they're kind of an unusual plant. They're in the legume family, and um, – they tend to, I, I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, that they tend to need uh, cooler conditions to grow and drier uh, conditions. I usually have seen them growing wild along ditches. And um, so I think I would do a little bit of reading on lupins and see what kinds of conditions that they do best in. And if you have those conditions in your yard, if you don't, I would probably not try to grow them. I would try growing them. Uh, you know, grow something else that's more suitable to your site. 
But there's something, I'm trying to remember what it is, but there's something about them that, that they need certain conditions and they're hard to start. So don't feel bad that you can't get them to grow. Uh, South Dakota is a really different environment than uh, Minnesota. And so, uh, yeah, I do a little bit of reading about that and uh, see if your site actually is suitable for them. All right. Texter says this, Julie, uh, we have a grouping of lilac bushes that have been in our yard for many, many years. In late June, all of the leaves uh, began drying up and uh, have all fallen off the bushes. We have other groupings of lilac bushes in the yard that seem fine. What could be the cause? Yeah, so we have had a lot of lilac issues. I know Mary answered some questions last week on the show. Um, I just posted on our Yard and Garden News uh, about lilacs and some of the reasons that we've seen uh, this dieback on lilacs. One of them has been identified as a fungus called Pseudocercophorus. Cospora, I think I pronounced that correctly. And our plant disease clinic at the U has had a lot of samples come in and they've been able to isolate this fungus. And a lot of it has to do with, I know that this has been kind of uh, redundant today, but a lot of it has had to do with the weather and the conditions that we have. So that's, that's probably what it is. There's some excellent photos uh, in that uh, yard and garden post, which you can find on our extension site. Uh, the other ideas too. There's other a couple other things uh, that could be going on. One is could be herbicide damage. We had some extreme heat, and if you had your lawn treated with dicamba or 2,4-D, uh, it may have volatilized or turned your gas and could have killed some of the some of the branches and leaves there. But I'm going to guess that if you haven't had anything like that happen or your neighbors haven't had anything treated, I'm going to guess that you might have had this fungal issue. The best thing to do is to clean up the fallen leaves. You can use a shop vac, actually. That's probably the fastest. And just vacuum them all up or rake them out, too. And then uh, dispose of those uh, not in a composter uh, where they where you could propagate those fungal spores. So you could burn them or dispose of them uh, in a compost site where they would actually basically, it would get hot enough, like a municipal one. Um, and then I would... Uh, we're going to see next year if this if these plants come back, and uh, we're hoping that they will. But uh, that's essentially uh, some of the issues we've had with lilacs this year. And, and take a look at that yard and garden post on extension.umn.edu, and go to the garden uh, yard and garden, and then uh, we're the very first link there is read yard garden news extension.umn.edu. We'll mention that again before Julie leaves us today. Julie, a quick break is in order. We'll be right back with more Smart Garden here on News Talk 830-WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden show here on 830-WCCO. Denny Long here with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota Extension. Uh, Julie, I know you wanted to follow up on that uh, lupine question we had just a bit ago. I, I do. I actually, during the break, um, Googled that, <laughs> Googled the lupine question, and found out a little bit more about lupines. I knew that there was something particular. One is uh, they grow in full sun. Uh, they need well-draining soil, uh, will not tolerate any kind of uh, heavy soils or waterlogged soils. And also they like acidic soil. So you think about that well-drained, full sun, acidic soil. Sounds to me like it's uh, up along the north shore of uh, Lake Superior and uh, in the northern part of the state, they would do better. They also spread only by receding. So, uh, and there are different kinds of lupines too. There are also, there are perennials as well as annuals. 
And I'll tell you where I found all the information was on the AmericanMeadows.com website. So this is a, a seed producer and plant producer. So uh, the caller who had the question on lupine, I would say take a look at their site. Uh, they have some really good information on growing lupines, and, and it might be able to uh, help you with uh, a better uh, growing batch next year. What was that site, Julie? AmericanMeadows.com. AmericanMeadows.com. Very good. Yep, yep, they're a seed and plant uh, supplier. I think we have time for another phone call. I think Larry has been waiting there in Clear Lake. Larry, you're on CCO with Julie. Hi, Julie. And uh, um, I, about seven years ago, prepared soil for strawberries. It was on the west side of the garage, about 30 feet by 12 feet. I planted four plants, and within two years, I was having a good strawberry crop. Uh, two things have happened that have been negative. One is that the trees around the area have overgrown, and now it's mostly shade. And secondly, the black cap raspberries have found their way in there, probably with birds transmitting it. I'm going to move them this fall, what I have left, to an uh, open area where I won't, won't have that problem. The question I have is, uh, when's a good time to do it? How far apart should the, berry, the, the plants be? And what should I do to cover them over the winter? Okay, I am going to, uh, Larry, I'm going to hopefully, I'm going to refer you to our uh, fruits webpage. We have really good information on strawberry plants there as well as other fruits. And uh, one of the things that you'll want to do, is it sounds like you're, you're planning to do it, is renovate your uh, strawberries. So good, good for you for figuring out that, you know, it's become shaded. You've got the black cap raspberries that are getting in there. So uh, moving them is a perfect thing to do. I think you're going to want to move them uh, in the, um, just looking here, we have actually a little calendar on the strawberries page. And so uh, planting uh, would be done in the spring. So you'd want to do this uh, renovation in the spring. And uh, and then you could, uh, I don't know what you'd want to do with the existing garden patch, but maybe let the black cap raspberries grow over it. But uh, yes, spring is going to be a good time to do that. And then uh, pinching off the flower buds off the transplants would be good to do in May. And then uh, applying some compost to some of the plants in the summer is a good idea too. And, uh, and, and mulching between the plants, if you're planting in rows, is a, a good thing to do as well to keep the berries cleaner. So, um, so spring is going to be your best time to do that. Right now for winter coming up, you would want to uh, cover the plants with straw mulch to just uh, overwinter those plants. And then in the spring, you can do your renovation. Okay. Julia Texter wants to know, will you comment on soil testing meters, especially for pH, or do we need to send a sample to a lab? So could you read that again, Denny, please? Yeah, they, they're, the question is about soil testing meters. Uh, oh, meters, okay. Especially for pH. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side uh, with the soil testing lab. You know, the meters are interesting, but I don't know how accurate they are, especially to the average user. If you're, uh, there are, of course, inexpensive meters, and then there's very high-tech uh, meters, and, and the high-tech meters none of us can afford, on, you know, as average gardeners. So I would say for the $17, 
that you have to pay the soil testing lab, you get not only pH, but you also get a ton of other good information recommendations. So I'm, I'm going to say, I, I would say send in a soil sample. How do we do that at the U? You can uh, find that link uh, at extension.umn.edu. You can type it right into the search box there, soil testing lab, and it'll pop you right onto their website. They have good information about how to collect the sample, where to send it, uh, and then also how to understand the results that you get. So uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a really useful thing to do. You don't need to do it every year. You could do soil samples maybe every three to five years. Or if you're doing a major renovation, like converting lawn space to a garden bed or a garden bed to a vegetable garden, uh, that would be, I would say, yeah, soil testing is good for at that time. But, you know, every three to five years is fine for the average, uh, average site. All right. Here's a text that says a variegated redwood wood, wood dogwood a month ago, upper half of bush leaves turned pale, a pale pink, now have turned black. The rest of the twigs look healthy. What do you think happened? Man, I don't know. Um, let's think about this for a minute. So they turned pink and then they turned black, and it's the upper half. Uh, I would say uh, my first thought is because it's top of the plant, it might be some kind of a, uh, a root issue. There could be something that has happened around the root base. Uh, could be uh, if there's been runoff that maybe maybe you did some work around your house and didn't notice, but maybe uh, some kind of chemical ran off uh, and was starting to kill off the plant. Um, it could be something uh, that was sprayed and it drifted onto the top of the plant. Um, yeah, that's a that's a interesting. Boy, I'm kind of stumped on that one, Denny. I think um, if it's a really high value plant, you might want to send a sample to our disease clinic just to isolate and, you know, uh, determine if there's been any kind of a a leaf spot issue or something that uh, might be threatening the life of the plant. That's uh, the plant disease clinic is found at pdc.umn.edu. And, uh, or you can see if those branches are dead or if if the leaves just died and then, um, you know, see how the plant does next spring. Okay. So you could prune off some of that. Maybe maybe you need to do some pruning on the plant anyway. Um, but I would see if the branches are dead or not. That's going to be your clue. Julie, we have exactly 60 seconds to go. Maybe we should mention uh, the website and the Apple House and the Arboretum. Can you do that in about 50 seconds? I will do my best. Yeah, the website is extension.umn.edu. And uh, you can go to learn and click on yard and garden, or you can use the search box to Google a topic of your choice. Uh, Master gardeners are on hand to answer uh, through Ask a Master Gardener. So you can email in questions and also photographs, and they can help you out there. The Arboretum Apple House opens today. And be sure to sign up for the virtual gala, which uh, supports uh, this year it's supporting the plant conservation program at the Arboretum. It's free. It's a virtual gala that's free. And you'll hear speakers like our, our own uh, President Joan Gable, uh, Pete Moe, director of the Arboretum, and it'll be hosted by Belinda Jensen. Right. And then uh, what else do I need to say, Denny? You, you can't. We're nice out of time. Day, man. The weather is going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful week. Julie, let's talk soon. Thanks very much. That sounds good. Thanks. Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.